Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Genesis 28 in verse 18. And guys, I think some of the verses that I sent to you are in the CSB, which I know that we don't have on the thing, and so ESV is fine for all of them. And Rose had made mention to me a moment ago, she said, you know, she said, there might be some people here today that are not familiar with the gifts of the Spirit and the operations of the Spirit, maybe wondering what the heck just happened a moment ago. Uh, You know, as we were praising and worshiping, the Lord really began to speak all of that into my heart that I got up here and shared from the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks to us about the the 12... um, most noted gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one of those is God giving a word in a different uh, language than the language that we know as a sign to people and then giving the uh, interpretation, not translation, but interpretation of that message. And so as far as why God does things the way he does them and those purposes, I don't know all of that. But you can read more about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But certainly we want to take heed to what, what the Lord was sharing with us and uh, consider those things and pray about them. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 18. I want to share with you a message this morning that we're simply going to call pillar of faith. Pillar of faith. And the reason I don't have sermon notes for you, it seems like lately for quite some time, Uh, I don't know what direction the Lord is going to take me until almost the last minute. And I've got pages and pages and pages of notes, and I am seeking and praying and studying. I love it, for I know exactly what's going to happen a week ahead of time, but it's not been that way. And so that's why I don't have uh, handout notes for you. Genesis 28 and 18, let's read this together. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. Let's pray real quick before we jump in. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you again for this word. Thank you for the people that are here. And I ask for your help. I have zero ability to minister without you. I need you completely. I need the help of the Holy Spirit completely to stand here and do what I do. And I ask, Father, for your mercy and grace, that the same thing you do in me for speaking, you would do in all of us for hearing. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to see, to hear, to understand, to recognize you, to recognize your moving and your voice. And Father, that we would take this, that we would mix it with faith, and that we would do something with it. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we find in this little bitty verse, Jacob. Somebody say Jacob. Here we find Jacob, and it says that he takes the stone that he had under his head. He had slept on it. Okay, He used it for a pillow. And he sets it up. And he makes a a pillar out of it, or a monument. It would look almost like a gravestone. When when we use a gravestone as a little pillar, a little marker, and a monument uh, to remember that person's life. And so he took this stone, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it. He consecrated that as as a foundation and as a memorial, as a marker point of an event. Okay, and that's what we're going to work. We're going to work up to that, and then we're going to work from it. So here we have Jacob. Say Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. You hear people pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. 
He is the great-grandson of Noah, ten times. He's the ten-time great-grandson of Noah. That's not too many generations. He is the thirteenth-time great-grandson of Enoch. How many remember Enoch? Enoch didn't die. Enoch walked with the Lord, and he was not, for the Lord took him. And so the Lord took Enoch bodily. You raptured him. He just took him completely. Uh, Jacob is the 19 times great-grandson of Adam, of Adam, Adam and Eve. And so he's got a really rich lineage, doesn't he? He's got a really rich history. If Jacob was to search his family tree on Ancestry.com, he would be really excited to find the notable people that he is connected to. How many of you ever watched the show, Who Do You Think You Are? Or uh, what, Finding Your Roots? We love these shows. Rose and I watch these genealogy shows, these ancestry shows. And so, you know, at the end, they sit down with the, the host, and he opens the book, and he tells them what they found. You know, and they say, oh, you're going to be really, really excited to find out, you know, that your grandpa was Noah. And Jacob says, why Noah? You know, now they kept pretty good records, so he already knew, but work with me here. Noah, with the boat? Noah, yeah, that's your great. And then the guy says to Jacob, but it gets even better. <gasps> better? Better than Noah? Yeah, Enoch. Enoch. He was, he, you know, collected, ascended bodily, you know. And he's like, but it gets even better. We found out in our research that your grandpa is God. <laughs> You're the grandson of God. You know. Anyway, that's the Jacob that we're talking about. We're talking about Jacob, 19 times great-grandson of Adam, 13 times great-grandson of Enoch, 10 times great-grandson of Noah, grandson of Abraham, Jacob. That's who we're talking about, Jacob. So this Jacob, of course, is the one that got his name changed to Israel. Got his name changed. Got his whole life changed. He started out as a liar, as a deceiver, as a trickster, which is what Jacob means after his, after his name, Jacob, trickster, supplanter. But then he has a life change. He repents, and he turns his life over to God, leans on the Lord, trusts the Lord, walks according to the Lord. He gets a name change, Israel, prince with God. Isn't that awesome? God can change your name. God can change your name. You don't have to be what you've always been. You don't have to answer what what, to what people always called you. God will make you brand new. And so Jacob and Israel, that's the same person. This Jacob that we're talking about, he's the same one that his grandkids are in war right now that we watch on the news. Same guy, Israel. I think it's funny, you watch some of these shows on History Channel and National Geographic, and they say, is there really evidence for the stories of the Bible? You ever see these? Is there really evidence for uh, a Moses that crossed the Red Sea? Is there really evidence of this particular Pharaoh in Egypt? Folks, there is a country on the map today called Israel. Come on. <laughs> And go to Israel and ask the people, why is your place called Israel? They'll say, that's grandpa. They'll tell you all about it. That's the one that we're talking about today. God made Israel a promise. He made Jacob a promise. It's the same promise that he made to his grandpa, Abraham. You know, Abraham is our father of the faith. He's the literal father of the Jews, of the Hebrew people. 
And then his grandson, Jacob, is the, the literal father of the nation or the family of Israel. He made Jacob, he made Israel that same promise that he had made his grandfather, Abraham. And the promise was this, that your seed will be multiplied like the stars of the heaven. That I will make of you a great nation. You could say a great family, but I will make of you great, a great number. I will multiply your family. Your family will be this innumerable nation. And he made that promise to him. Now, that promise is twofold. One part of that promise is what we're watching in the news right now, the literal genealogy, the literal lineage, the biological family, the same DNA. That's part of it. But that promise, the other part of that twofold promise is this that his family would be multiplied when untold multitudes of non-Jews would be grafted in to the family through Jacob's 53 times great-grandson on his stepdad's side. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Isn't it amazing, this family? Now, on Jesus' mother's side, it was the 39 times great-grandson from Jacob. So Mary came from Jacob, so did Joseph, but not real close. It all got spread out. And both came through David, the seed of David. And this is why Paul, when Paul is talking in the New Testament about that promise to Abraham, that promise to Jacob, says that the, the word of God was that through your seed, and then Paul specifies not seeds as many, but through your seed, singular, will the promise come, meaning one particular seed of the seed, which is Jesus. So there was this general promise about the literal family of the Jewish people, which exists now, and that's very real. And we're supposed to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And to pray for that peace of Jerusalem is to pray that Jerusalem would see that Jesus Christ is the one, that he's the Lord, that he's the Messiah, that he's the sin Savior, and that they would embrace the one that came for them first, for the Gentiles second. It's amazing, isn't it? But that the family comes through the seed Jesus Christ, and that all that believe on Jesus would become the children of Abraham, would become the children of God. That's why he said, God is able to raise up from these stones children of Abraham. You know, there were a lot of the Jewish people that were rejecting Christ, but saying we're the literal line of Abraham, and they were. But in order to be saved, we have to place faith in that one that came that is the Son of God. And he said, God can raise up children of Abraham through, through the stones. So that's the Jacob that we're talking about. You will remember Jacob's brother, Esau, Jacob and Esau. And we're not going into all of their story today, but you'll remember that uh, Jacob was favored by his dad. Esau was favored by his mother. And you'll remember that Jacob went in and by deception took the birthright because Esau was the firstborn. Jacob was the secondborn. And those of you that are students of the Bible know about the theme of the secondborn and how the, the blessing over and over again would fall on the secondborn which now we can look back and reflect and know that that was prophetic because the first son, Adam, who was supposed to embrace the inheritance of earth but fell because of sin, then the second son, the last Adam, Jesus came, and the blessing came on him, and he became the firstborn. <laughs> this is a lot, isn't it? He became the firstborn among many brethren. He got what would have been the firstborns. And so all of this is an incredible picture, and this is your Bible. This is what your Bible is. 
So Jacob and Esau, Jacob steals the birthright. Esau wants to kill him. So Jacob decides to get out of town for a while. And he goes to Padanaram to find a wife. So he leaves to find a wife. And that's where we start to find our text today. He is on this journey away to find a wife. Go to Genesis 28, 11. So he's on this journey. And at some point dur- during his venture, he stops to rest. He stops to sleep through the night. Am I going too fast or are we kind of, are we doing okay with this? It says he reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones from that place and put it there at his head. So he takes a rock and uses it to prop his head up, uses it as a pillow. And he lays down in that place, and he dreamed. Uh, oh, I, would you grab that out of the top drawer? I forgot it. This is what I wanted it for. Take the paper off for me. And so he begins to dream as he's laying there. And as he's dreaming, a stairway was set on the ground. Thank you. A stairway was set on the ground, some translations say a ladder, with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down it. How many of you remember these? Raise your hand if you've ever seen one of these before. Anybody? Raise your hand if you've never seen one of these before. This is a old-fashioned classic children's toy called a this is called a Jacob's ladder and the way it's constructed is that no matter how many times you flip it they just keep falling you start at the top it goes down to the bottom start at the top going down to the bottom this is supposed to be used as a reminder of this of this story and so if you if you have a Jacob's ladder you get a Jacob's ladder this is a great starting place let a kid play with this or a grown-up And then you begin to share with them, do you know why we have this toy? Do you know why we have this? It's right here in Genesis 28. So Jacob dreams, and he sees this ladder going up into heaven, and the angels going back and forth, back and forth in heaven. The Lord was standing there beside him and said this, I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. You see, that promise was not only the multiplication of a family, but it was also a location. Or it was not, uh, uh, did I say multiplication? Multiplication of a family and a location which is the location they're fighting about. That's what the war is about. This that we read here is what they're still fighting about. People saying they're supposed to get the land when um, we stand with Israel. Come on, that strip of land, which is not even that big. God promised that to it is their piece of land because God said so. So we openly defy any army, any nation, anyone that says they're going to have that land. Listen, I'm not a betting man, but if you're going to place money, put your money on Israel. Because at the end of the day, God wins and Israel wins and he promised that land to Israel. Nobody else is going to get it. Nobody else. That is Israel's land. God gave it to him. Here's what he said. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the people on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. And again, this is a twofold uh, part of the promise. There will be 
literal, physical, national blessings through Israel, but ultimately the way they would be blessed through the seed is because of Jesus Christ, the Savior, coming through that line. And now all the world is blessed by placing faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what he did on the cross of Calvary when he died. So that's what that's what's going on here. Now, the place where Jacob was when this happened, this whole deal with using a uh, pillow, a rock for a pillow, and receiving this promise. That place is called Bethel. Everybody say Bethel. And in the very next verse, we find the reason why it is called Bethel. Verse sixteen: When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said. Surely the Lord is in this place. And that's what he named the place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven, he called it. He said, this place is the house of, this place is Bethel, the house of God. And so when we say Bethel, that means the place where God is. The house of God, the place where his presence is. So that's why it has that name. And now we're back to our text, the 18th verse, so we can start preaching. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a a pillar, a monument, a marker, a place to remember, a foundation of a thing, a thing to look to, a thing to look on. And he poured oil on top of it. He consecrated it, set it apart as this pillar. You know, we talk about pillars of the faith. And a pillar is a, it's a symbol of strength. Sometimes a pillar is literal strength. You know, the pillars that hold up a porch or hold up a house. Uh, a, a pillar is a, a great vertical beam that carries lots of weight to support everything. That's what a pillar is. And when we set up a pillar as a monument, it does the same thing. It's a place to look to, to remember something important and to go from that place, to remember it as a reference. And we gain strength from that experience and where we have been. So notice this. He uses the rock that was his pillow the night before that he had rested his head on, he uses the same rock. Somebody say that same rock. He uses that same rock as the memorial. The place where he had rested, the thing he had laid his head upon, he uses that as the memorial, as the pillar, as the marker. It was a statement in a foundational spot to remember what happened there. He set that thing up as a tribute to remember his meeting with God, to remember this special starting place, to remember where he received the promise, to mark the thing that happened there. He put it there to mark Bethel. He put it there to mark, I met God. I met God. I now have this, his relationship with God. He says, I've chosen you. This is what I'm going to do for you. You move forward in obedience, and now he's in relationship with God, and he sets it up. When you meet God and you enter relationship with him, the moment you get saved... Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. When we have been traveling and the weight of the world is hard and it's difficult and we've been up hills and down into valleys and we've been through the wilderness and we've been through the darkness of sin and we come to the place and say, 
I need to turn in. I need, and we find Bethel. We find the place of rest, and we give it all to Jesus, and we lay down on the rock. Come on, somebody. I say, I'm going to take every, my head. He laid his head. I take everything that I know, all of my human logic, all of my reasoning, all of my trying to figure it out, all of my willpower, all of my self-will, me trying to fight, and I lay it down on the rock, and I rest in Jesus. Bethel that place where you meet him, when you meet God and enter into a relationship with him, that is the foundation of your strength. Your relationship with God is your only sustaining power for living out the purposes he has for you. Now look at this, because both these things happened there with Jacob. He rested and he got the charge. He found rest and he found strength. He found rest and he found promise. All of this happened in the same place. So God, your relationship with God is your only sustaining power for living out his purposes. But you must intentionally take time to keep your mind remembering the Lord himself. It does not happen by accident. You get saved, but a lot of people get saved, and then they don't fellowship with God. It's not automatic, and it's not an accident. You have to be intentional in remembering him. You have to be intentional in fellowshipping with him. So here is something so interesting that stuck out to me. The rock that he used... To depend on is the same rock that he slept on. The rock that he used to sustain him is the same rock that he used to give him rest. What he had used for rest, he now used the same thing as a faith marker. The rock he had rested on was the same rock that would sustain him. In the English language, this works out really well because we get to cheat and simply say his pillow became his pillar. Come on, somebody. It was his pillow the night before, but it's his pillar moving forward. As Christians... We forget that our rest and our strength are both supposed to come from the same place, the rock. It's supposed to be our rest and it's supposed to be our strength. Many times we ask the rock for strength, but we don't take time to rest in him. With our prayer and with our mouth, we ask God to strengthen us, but what we choose for rest is a lot of other things. So we will say, I want God to give me strength, but then we don't do what's required to get the strength from him. Do you know that God is listening to the prayer of your actions more than the prayer of your mouth? We talked about this at, our, at my house yesterday. We pray one thing with our mouth, but we pray something else with our decisions. And actions speak louder than words. And last week we said, uh, you draw near to him with your mouth, but your heart is far from him. We need to make sure that with our decisions, that our decisions are asking the same thing that our mouth is asking. We need the prayer of our life. We need the prayer of our living to be the same as the prayer in our prayer time. So the rock he rested on was the same as the rock would sustain him. We have to remember it both comes from the same place. You see, his rest, rest in him, requires discipline. Rest in Jesus requires intention. Rest in him requires self-sacrifice. I don't rest in Jesus by accident. I have to choose to rest in him. How do I do it? I rest in him by spending time learning him. I get God's rest by intentional time learning who he is, learning his character, learning his nature, learning his way, learning his story. I cannot rest in God by taking a nap. Now, I'm not telling you a nap is a bad thing. Sometimes you need a nap. But I'm telling you that you, you can only rest in God by getting to know God 
You can't ask to get to know God and ask for rest and then neglect to get to know him. And there are a whole lot of ministries and a whole lot of churches that are running on asking God and they're running on emotion and they're running on feeling. And for years and years, especially in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, we have caused people to believe because we believed that the way to deliverance is a greater experience with God. You hear me? We have taught with our words and by example that if you want to be free from God, you need to figure out how to have the bigger God encounter. Listen, deliverances and freedoms in life change do not come from the encounter. They don't come from having an experience and they don't come through the laying on of hands. That's not what that's for. I cannot break drug addiction with the laying on of hands. I can run a spirit of addiction off with the laying on of hands. But when something has become psychological and physiological, that comes through you spending time in the word and with God and learning his nature in his way and learning to depend on him bit by bit from glory to glory and faith to faith. But we have taught people that the answer to their victory or their deliverance is to have somebody else lay hands on you or to have a bigger, if, if we can just rev this service up, if we can make the service loud enough, if we can make it cryy enough, if we can make it shouty enough, if I can produce a bigger God feeling in a service, then that's the answer and that's what we're looking for. No. How many years do we have to do that before we will admit and be honest, that does not work. That's not the way. That's not how this works at all. Freedom and victory and deliverance come from learning what the word of God is and learning how to daily apply and stand on that as we fellowship with God and as we confess our faults one to another and pray for one another that we may be restored to a spiritual tone of mind. So I'm not saying there are not certain things that get broken off and things that deal with demons and spirits. Yes, that's broken off in an instant in Jesus' name. But once you have years and years and years of conditioning and programming, that is not going to disappear because you had a good altar service. And if we don't tell people this that I'm saying right now, they'll feel great in the altar service and then they'll leave. The thing is still there because it's not actually gone and they think something is wrong with them. There is nothing wrong with you. This thing happens a little bit at a time and that's what the people of God were supposed to teach you and then love you like crazy patiently and with mercy and with grace as you grow out of it. You have to grow out of it, and that's okay. That's the only way God's mandated for it to work. So I don't rest in Jesus by accident. I have to choose daily over time to continue resting in him. The time I spend learning him, I have to choose him over other stuff. I have to choose him in place of other stuff. I have a great church service. I ask God for this deliverance. I get somebody to lay hands on me, and I cry, and I jerk, and I shout, and I shake, and I run around, and I fall down. But then I don't watch anything different on TV than what was keeping my programming Do you hear what I'm saying to you? I have to start putting different stuff in. I cannot ask for one thing, but continue to fill my mind with programming that I'm praying against. What I fill myself with has to agree with what I'm asking God for help with. Is this, a, I mean, I know I'm not, you know, I'm not bucking and shouting and running around the room. But this is what will set you free. This is what is actually real. 
And this is what, when you go home and you fall again, you don't have to freak out and feel guilty and feel like it's all over or that your progress wasn't real. You can say, okay, this stinks that this happened. And, and yes, I'm sorry. I need some help. But, but my pastor loves me and told me this would happen. And this is how I keep going. Hallelujah. We have to start choosing what to do with our time at home. We can't pray for one thing on Sunday, but then not block out time in his presence through the week in his word. In his word. We say, this is my rest time. Well, what we call resting is, you know, vegging out. I'm not telling you that there's never a time to veg out, but you cannot veg out at expense of never spending time with him. What we call rest and what he calls rest is different. When we think rest, we think do the thing that is the comfiest. That is rest. Resting is to be very comfortable. But can I tell you that resting in him is not always immediately comfortable. That kind of rest is not, how comfy does it sound to use a rock for a pillow? Not very. But it gave him strength tomorrow that he could stand on for the rest of the generations. He took a hard pillow and turned it into a pillar. You know, I've got some neck issues. And several years ago, I bought an expensive chiropractic pillow. Anybody ever sleep on a hard chiropractic pillow? And you said, wait a minute, this thing is not comfy. You know, there are chiropractic pillows that they have removable cores. It's got a strip. And when you buy it from the chiropractor, the chiropractor will tell you this. He'll say, this is not going to feel comfy to you when you first lay your head on it. So put in the number one insert. It's real soft. He said, sleep on that for a few nights until you get used to your head being held in the right position. The right position's uncomfortable because you're not used to it. He says, and then when you get used to it, take out the number one and put in the number two. It's a little more firm. You're not going to be able to stand it on the first night. It's going to be about a week in. He said, but when you get accustomed, you can put in the firmer one. He said, and then when you get used to that, you take that one out and you put in the number three. This one's pretty hard. So you couldn't start with it. You're not going to call it comfy when you lay your head on it. So it doesn't feel comfy, but it puts your neck in the right place. It doesn't feel good at first, but it'll point your head in the right direction that everything else is in alignment. It will cause everything else to start working right. It will relieve the pressure on the inside of your body. It will release where the tension is, and your nervous system will start working right, that you'll feel what you're supposed to feel and not feel what you're not supposed to feel. And all of a sudden, this uncomfortable resting place becomes your pillar of strength, and now your life changes because you're getting sleep at night and Instead of using something that you called soft. Did you ever pick a pillow because it felt so soft, but you woke up with a crick in your neck? So what is comfortable is not always real rest. Do you hear me? You got to do the thing that keeps your head aimed in the right direction. And choosing to trust Jesus doesn't always feel comfy, but he'll hold your neck right. Where your head goes, you go. To turn a horse, you turn its head. I can't turn a horse. It's a lot bigger than me. I'm not stronger than a horse, but I can turn its head. And when I turn its head, the body follows. Well, guess what? We are the body of Christ, but this thing only works when we're in agreement with our head. And Jesus is the head of the body. We better use him as the pillar and as the pillow. We better start laying our head on Jesus 
for rest. And then when it's time to get up and travel to the next place, we make the pillow a pillar. And we say, I got to remember when I rested in him. I've got to look back and say, no, I've got a promise on this thing. It may look like there's giants in the land. It may look like I can't make it. It may look like the road is too long. But I remember when Bethel, I remember when I met with God in the night and he gave me a promise and his promise is bigger than my problem. The the thing that he put on the inside of me is bigger than the thing that's coming at me from the outside. This fire on the inside is bigger from the giant on the outside. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves me. We've got to turn our pillow into a pillar. Hallelujah. Too often, the things that we run to for rest are things that give us comfort, comfort, but they're not able to give us strength. Too many times, the things we choose for rest are the things that give us comfort, but cannot give us strength. It's a temporary comfort that doesn't supply anything afterward. What we generally call comfort is usually just distraction. I got to say it again. What most of us call comfort is really just a distraction. Let me say it this way. We pick things that take our mind off the issues without dealing with the issues. We pick stuff that we're just not thinking about it, but it's still there. Instead of taking a rock that can crush it. You know, we love to go to an amusement park. That's really two words. It's the letter A, which means anti or to negate whatever comes after it. We go to an A amusement park. The word muse means to think on. We muse. We think. We meditate. We reflect. We work through. We consider. We calculate. We weigh out. We reason. We divide. We choose. Muse. That's what the word muse means. If you put an A in front of it, it means to negate musing, to do the opposite of musing, to not muse. That's why we go to amusement parks. We go to an amusement park to not think. We go there to, why do you take these thrill rides? Listen, you can be in a bad way. You get on a great roller coaster, you're not thinking about your problem. Am I telling the truth? You got people that get on a roller coaster happy. You got some people on the same train that get on sad. You got some people that get on the same train depressed. You got a lot of different emotions getting on the roller coaster. When that thing gets into the corkscrew, everybody's on the same page. Everybody's focused on one thing, and it's not what they came in with. The roller coaster has accomplished its purpose in causing you to amuse. You're not thinking. You're now amused. Oh, wow, that's very amusing. You say, oh, really, it's very amusing. What you're actually saying is, oh, that took my mind off of what I was thinking on. And now somebody tells you a joke. Well, you're listening. You're intrigued. And then they drop the punchline. It flips your brain at the last minute, which, by the way, that's what comedy actually is. It's taking you down one path, and then they turn with an unexpected ending. It causes a little trip in your mental process, and now you're not thinking about whatever you were thinking about, and the tension that you just had, your brain doesn't know how to process it. You let it out in a laugh. A laugh is your way to do, oh, I didn't see that coming, and then you laugh. You know, you're engaged with a, with a story. A stand-up comedian is a master of this. You laugh at the thing he's telling because you know it's true. Come on, he tells you a story really about yourself. You can all relate, and you know where it's headed, you know where it's headed, you know where it's headed, but then he gets to his punchline, and he flips it, and something different happens than what you thought, and you laugh. That's the release. You are amused. For a moment, they've got you. You're not thinking about, come on, somebody. You're not thinking about whatever you were thinking about. There's nothing wrong with going to an amusement park, but too many folks are leaning on, depending on trusting in amusement I just don't want to think about it. I just don't want to think about it. I just don't want to think about it. 
I just don't want to think about it. There are a lot of folks, they don't even want the thing that they're doing. They're doing it because of what they don't want. So guess what? That's your God. You are choosing to amuse instead of muse. Something you're looking at, you're not supposed to look at. Something you're visiting that you're not supposed to visit. And at the end of the day, the majority of people that are doing that is not even because of the thing itself. They've just found that that thing distracts them for a little while, that they don't have to feel the other thing. Am I telling the truth? So now I'm resting on something that I could never stand up and use as a pillar. I'm making a pillow out of this bottle. But tomorrow morning, I can't stand that bottle up as an experience with God that will sustain me with his promise going forward. Jacob put his head on a solid rock. He went to the rock for rest, and the next day he could stand it up because that rock's always going to be a rock. That rock is always going to be stable. He picks something he can rest in and he can think on. He can reflect on it. He can go back to it. He can meditate on it. There are a lot of people that are probably genuinely born again, but you're amusing You are running to things for distraction that don't give you strength, and you're committing idolatry. You are trusting something for what only God does that cannot do what God does and that is not God. You are leaning on things that God said, lean on me for. And instead, you're leaning on something else. You can never turn your pillow into a pillar because you've chosen a crappy pillow. You've chosen a faulty pillow. You've chosen a weak pillow. You've chosen a carnal, frail pillow that can never, ever carry you. That thing can never be a pillar. It can never be your strength. You can never lean on it. Luke 5, 15 and 16 Oh, let me back up for a second while you're getting there. So, I love amusement parks. How many of y'all, Vince? <laughs> we love amusement parks, love roller coasters. And, boy, if you go to Disney World or something, it's a lot of money. You spend a lot of money for that. So, Rose and I, two weeks ago... You know, we drove I-70 from St. Louis all the way to California, well, to Nevada, and then jumped on 15 and went straight down where we were uh, staying in uh, Whittier outside of Los Angeles. And we're driving through plains and mountains. Every American should be required to drive all of I-70 just to see, just to see this this great country. We're driving through all of these cities and all these terrains, all these areas, seeing truly dark skies in Utah. We pulled off the highway, found an opening in a fence, pulled off, and I climbed up on top of the car and just laid on my back and looked at truly, you know, there's no light pollution from any of the cities around, and the stars looked like glowing dust covering the sky. You could see the Milky Way. You could see everything. It's just mind-blowing. Really made you think, you know, made you consider things, made you ask a lot of questions. All of these things Rose and I saw, there wasn't enough time for all the conversation that it produced. We talked about God in all of it and talked about all the different things he made and how he made it and this and that. And I never had to buy a ticket to see any of it. I didn't have to pay any money to see those stars. I didn't have to pay any money to see the Rockies. 
I didn't pay any money to get down on my hands and knees and put my face in the Colorado River and suck up that cold water, which I did. I didn't pay anything. And I said, man, Rose, this is crazy. I said, I haven't bought a single ticket, and this beats the snot out of Mickey Mouse. I said, you know, I'm a person that likes Disney World. I said, and it's fun. I said, oh, yeah, an amusement park. I said, we go to Disney World, and it's fun and thrilling, but it doesn't produce anything. It does not enrich me. I don't, it doesn't cause me to think. I said, and then I drive through the mountains with no lights, no costumes, no roller coasters. I said, and in a few days' time, it's transforming my whole life and outlook. It's making me consider my life the vapor. It's making me consider where I came from and where I'm going. It's making me consider the greatness of God. I am musing the whole time I'm going through. It's the difference between amusement and amusement. A whole lot of people are living their life off Disney World instead of off the mountains. There's a whole lot of people living their life off the roller coaster. Just distract me. Just thrill me. Just excite me. Just get my mind off of it. Just make the next thing happen, 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 happen. You know, that's what the word happy means. You know, I've, I used to think I was a happy person and I found out I'm not happy. Happy means that in order for you to be okay, something needs to be happening, happy, happening, 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 happening. You're a person that you're only content when there's something happening all the time. Well, I found out I'm not happy because I'm good whether anything's happening or not. I'm joyful. I have joy. Come on, somebody. I have joy and I have peace. I don't, I don't have to have anybody like me. I don't have to have anybody celebrate me. You sit me in the chair in my front room with the dog and the Bible or drive me through the Rockies. I'm, I'm content. I am whole. I am happy. I'm not scared. I'm not worried. I'm safe. I'm safe. But there's a whole lot of people living their life on happy. There's a whole lot of people living their life on amusement and on thrills and excitement. It's got to be this, 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 this. I'm so glad that Jesus has changed it all and that he's enough. He's just, he's just a rock. He just there, keeps on being a rock, never changes, never moves, just always solid, always trustworthy, always a rock. Not always sensational. Jesus is not always bing, 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 woo, like we made him in the church. Well, when your woo runs out, the rock will still just be there being a rock. And I can tell you it's a lot better. I'd rather have quiet church services and a clear, solid conscience and a victorious, stable life than to pretend every day is Brownsville, sorry, not sorry, and not have victory or stability in my marriage and in my raising my kids. I'd rather just be like this. I'd rather just be like this. Luke 5, 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more. Think about when people start finding out about Jesus and the miracles. Think about the, how that transformed his way of living and the crowds that wanted him and the crowds that hated him and there's people everywhere and they're pulling you this way, that way. So that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. At the height of the excitement, a lot of us chase excitement. A lot of people in our world chase celebrity and fame. They try to run from loneliness to celebrity. 
Jesus had celebrity and ran to the loneliness. Jesus said, I'm living in this. I got to get away. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We're chasing the wrong thing. We are equivocating in our mind the action with satisfaction and not realizing that it's a liar. Because when you get there, you say, oh my God, I used all this time, all this money, and this did not produce what they told me it would produce. Now I'm looking, looking, looking. Maybe I need more of it. Maybe I need it bigger. And it's endless. But Jesus said, no, no. The secret is, get away from that as often as you can and go hide in a mountain and spend time with the Father. And don't tell anybody about it. And don't brag about it. Get somewhere that you can just be with God himself and with his word. You're going to need that in order to face. Do you hear me? We got it all backwards. This is not the satisfier. This is the drainer. This is the pool. This is the weight. This is the, this is where you get the stuff. You got to turn your pillow into your pillar. I feel like I've said everything I'm supposed to. This help anybody today? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Will you stand with me? There may be someone here today, and you may have never made Jesus your pillar or your pillow. It may be that you have never from your heart secured your faith in the cross where he bled and died. And that he got up again. In America, we're used to this term, get saved, get saved. I'm saved. I prayed and got saved. The sad thing is people mean different things while using the same words. We've got to be so careful with words. You'll say a word to five people. You say this word. Well, they have five different definitions of that word. So you think you said the same thing to all of them. Really, you said five different things. We've got to start talking in definitions. We've got to start rightly dividing the word of God and not doing things in haste. We've got to start making sure people really understand what it is that we're saying. I hope everybody here will hear this statement. I'm afraid that most people believe that salvation is I am a victim of humanity and I need God to rescue me. That is not what we're talking about with salvation. Salvation is I am a criminal. I am a transgressor of God's law. I am a sinner. And I need his mercy. The first group kind of thinks God owes them. I'm a poor, vulnerable victim of my problems. And God ought to save me and do something about it. That's not the saved that the Bible's talking about. This saved is God should destroy me. I don't know why he would save me. I don't deserve it. I ought to get what's coming to me, and that's destruction and death. I have sowed seeds of wrath 
I have wronged God. I feel so sorry because he's the creator. This is his earth and he made me and I have not lived for him. I have not represented him. I have done things my way. I chose to trust in myself and in a lot of things. God ought to wipe me out. But I heard that he loves me and still wants me. I heard that Jesus died to pay for all this stuff that I did. God, if it's true what they say about you, would you be merciful to my transgression? Would you forgive me? I understand you've already paid for it. I'm asking you to change me that I would be a new person that will represent you well instead of this one that you should destroy. God, I believe. That is salvation. There are a lot of people that have repeated prayers that didn't get saved because they were not asking for that. They were asking for this other thing. You can't get saved if you don't know what it means. You can't get forgiveness if you don't believe you need forgiveness. You cannot be redeemed if you do not believe you are lost. There might be somebody here today that has never come to Jesus. There might be somebody here that repeated a prayer but just now you realized, oh no, I didn't do that that he just explained. Salvation is the heart and mouth proclamation. I have made other things God, and today I renounce them. I reject them, I defy them, I turn and I believe the one true God and I pledge allegiance to him. Lord Jesus, save me. Friends, every human being is going to leave this earth. And your body is going to go back to the ground and turn into dust. But when your body goes down, where will you go? You make that decision now, not then. Who can be saved? Well, when a person realizes this that I just explained, they say, oh, oh, no, I, I'm a sinner. Oh, no, I'm, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. I need that. If you've realized that, you can be saved. Because it takes the Holy Spirit. There are people standing here, right here in this room, that just listened to all this, that don't have a clue what I just said. Because my words can't do it. The Holy Spirit is spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit has to illuminate it. And he picks when and why. If you are one of the ones that when I said it, you got it, you better act on it. If you got it, you say, it's me. I'm in need of God's forgiveness. I'm in need of what Jesus did on the cross. I want that. I want to be saved. I want to know that I'm right with God. If you have realized it, he's inviting you right now. He has given you an invitation into his family. And he's not handing it out every moment for every person. He moves on you. So if you have never placed faith in that, but you want to, get out of your seat right now and come and stand with me. I would love the honor of praying with you as you do that. You don't have to have me. You don't have to have this building. You don't have to have any of it. But we're here right now, so why not? 
would you allow me to lead you in a prayer as you pray from your heart to place faith for salvation in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you? Would there be even one? Would there be even one here that says, I want that? I want that. I want that salvation. Where are you at, friend? Anybody at all? If you are watching at home and you say, I wish I was there, you don't have to be here. Right there in your house, right there in your car, right there in a restaurant, watching on your phone, wherever you're at right now. If you have realized this, if this is what is moving on your heart and mind as I say it, then right there where you are, call out to God. You can use these words or you can use your own words. But call out to him something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. God, I know you love me. I know you sent Jesus to die for me. Jesus, I know you died on the cross to pay for my sin. And I know you got up again from the dead. I know you're alive. And I say yes to you. Wash me. Cleanse me. Move into my life. Kick me out and you move in. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. If you made that decision today, if you prayed that prayer, would you please, please, please click the message button right now? And would you message me? And would you just say, Pastor DJ, I just made that decision. I just asked Jesus into my life. I just offered myself to him. Would you please message me right now to tell me you made that decision? I have a free book, free, 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 free book. I'm going to send it to you. It will talk to you about prayer and Bible reading. It will help you to get started in your walk with the Lord. And we would love to send that to you. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.